Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill Smith. And this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 112. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Jen. Hi. No, I really am excited. <laughs> Did I catch you off guard? <laughs> I forgot what we were doing. I'm a little out of it today. I forgot we were starting recording a podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're doing our podcast, Dumb Love. Have you heard of it? Yeah. <laughs> How are you doing? Has it been a crazy week? I'm good. It has been a crazy week. It's just been super busy. And then uh, last night, I was doing a show. Okay. And it started at 10 o'clock at night. No, Jen, why did you say yes day. to that? I said yes because I was told that I was going to go on – I would be out of there by 10.30 is what uh-huh. I was told. And I was like, all right, I don't like this. <laughs> but I know it's a great show and I know the people that run it are fantastic. And I was like, I'll do it. And um, – I was, you know, and I was like, all right, I'll be home by 11. And actually, I thought I would be home even before that because I'm actually, it's the venue is like four blocks from here. I go to the show and I'm already very tired. Also, yeah. I got my hair done yesterday by my friend Julie, who I love. And because I have a hair dye allergy, I have to take Benadryl when I get my hair done. It's crazy. Oh. <laughs> I suffer for beauty. I suffer for beauty. Oh, no. So you were all Benadryled up? And it was late. I was delirious. And then, like, the show kind of started late. And then, like, a comic got put up. I don't want to say his name because I love him and I gave him shit for it later. Um, went up. I said he had to go up early. And uh-huh. so then they they pushed my set back even more so that this comic could go up early. And later I was like, why am I still looking at you? Right. Why are you still why, here? Why are you still here? <laughs> <laughs> if you had to go on early, why are you still here? <laughs> and so um, – and then, like, I was told that there is like some festival producer that's that's watching, and like, and I was like, oh god, I'm not like in that state of mind where I know I'm gonna like kill my set. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And then it just kept getting pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. I didn't go on until eleven thirty at night. No. Yeah. <laughs> eleven thirty, and when I tell you that, not even. Two minutes into my set, probably 60 seconds into my set, the fucking fire alarm goes yeah! off. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. The fire alarm goes off. Everybody, I'm on stage. Uh-huh. And the fire alarm goes off and I'm standing there like a fucking idiot, <laughs> a tired fucking idiot. And everybody's looking around like, what do we do? Who did that? Who did that? And the alarm went off for like a while. Um before they figured out how to shut it off. Yeah. So I just stood there on stage holding a sad, limp microphone. <laughs> I mean, I guess I should have looked to see if there was a fire. Right. But um, <laughs> I was too tired at that point. And then somebody finally came and shut it off. And then I was like, okay, so show's over. We go right. home now? We go home now. And then, <laughs> and then he was like, reset. And then like we just like – had to go from zero to show and like <sighs> wait for people to get back in their seats, 
they're tired. I'm tired. There's no momentum to the show. No, they just went through a fire alarm. Yeah. I ended up doing my set Uh 20 minutes to complete dead silence. Oh, I'm so sorry. At like super late at night. That's such a nightmare. It was the worst. It's one of those things where you're like, I know I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to do this in the first place. And now you motherfuckers are going to ice me out and make me feel bad for the next 10 days. Uh, Fuck off. (laughs) And a fire alarm. Oh, that's like the worst of all worlds. And I'm going to be sleepy in the morning. Dude. (gasps) Totally like. I uh, am incensed on your behalf. Thank you. Thank you. No, yeah, that was definitely like, you know, when comics, when people always think about if they want to do stand-up comedy and there's like, there's just that one great big fear that like, Mm -hmm. I could never do that because what if this happens and that like your nightmare going to school naked moment. Yeah. Like that was my fucking moment was like (laughs) being deliriously tired, doing comedy really late at night um, during and have the fire alarm go off and then doing 20, 20 minutes, 20 which doesn't minutes. sound like a lot, you guys. But it's when you're a, a comedian it's a and you're talking 20 minutes to no laughter at all, to dead, tired faces looking at you like, why did we stay? It was painful. Real painful. So that's, uh, I, that was my night. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I would have been like, well, 10 minutes in, looks like my time's up. Uh, yeah, you know, I think I didn't do the full 20. I, th- I definitely checked out before I got the light. I was like, well, then, all right, good night. Like, well, I felt like I was pulling the plug for them. Yes, no, you know? right? Like, like, go, just go home. Yeah, like, you don't want to be here. You're not enjoying me. Why would we, why are we making yeah. each other be here? Yeah, why are we doing this to each other? <laughs> oh. oh, buddy, I'm sorry so, that happened. And I okay. have been there. I have yeah. been there. <laughs> we have all been there. This is why you don't say yes to shows after 10 p.m. I That's know. why. Never. Just say no. <laughs> all right. Let's get into some quickies. Okay. Um, I'm going first this week. So I'm doing the the old Sally quickie stretch where this maybe isn't about a relationship per se. <laughs> But it has to do with a couple. And it's a very sweet story. It's a very sweet story. So this is coming – this article is from channel3000.com. And it is about uh, neighborly love. Like very sweet neighborly love. Okay. Um, I like this. Good, 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 good. Good, Yeah. uh, Good stretch. Yeah. So in (laughs) Madison, Wisconsin this year, a woman named Neva Fett, um, who lives in the Cherokee neighborhood on Madison's north side, and she's lived in the same neighborhood for 50 years she's been there. And she's always loved her neighborhood, but recently she's uh, learned to love it more. In October 2020, actually, she had back surgery, which is grueling and horrible. And so her doctor told her that in order for her to regain her strength um, and her ability to walk, he encouraged her, he told her that she had to take small walks around the neighborhood every single day to get her strength back. So she started walking slowly with a walker in January of 2021. um, And she hated doing it because it was like freezing cold outside. No, and it's in Wisconsin. Yeah. It's January. Real cold there. Horrible. So one of her neighbors, a couple down the street, decided to come up with a way to get her 
walking, just a little bit of uh, motivation. Um, she said that, you know, at first when she started walking, she was slow and she was worried about falling. Um, but slowly but surely, things improved when her neighbors started doing this. Her neighbors, Tom and Jennifer Hanser, started posting, you'll love this, Sally, dad jokes. Oh. <laughs> um, in April 2020 is when they started doing it. They started doing it actually to just lighten the mood um, in the neighborhood for pandemics. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, for pandemics. <laughs> when you're in a pandemic, <laughs> during the pandemic. Um, so they started posting dad jokes outside of their home. So Neva started reading them and just loved it. And that was her motivation to walk every day was to go walk down the street to see what their dad joke of the day was because it brought her so much joy. The Hansers yeah. said that they usually run their jokes by their daughter, who's a high school senior. They call it the eye roll test. If her daughter rolls her eyes at it, then they know it's a good dad joke. <laughs> so awesome. So here's, I love that so much. I know. Here's some of their jokes. Some of their jokes were, um, it's my wife's birthday tomorrow, and she's been leaving jewelry catalogs everywhere, so I bought her a magazine rack. <laughs> Um, I roll. <laughs> I know. I canceled my subscription to the Scrabble Club. Now they're sending me threatening letters. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I genuinely like that These one. These <laughs> are all terrible. I mean, but terrible in such a great way. Yeah. Um, I ate a kid's meal at McDonald's today. His mom got really mad. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you love a dad joke. I do love a dad joke. I just like I, I like it when they get me, you know? I like I a know. twist. And that's all dad jokes are. So Plays on words, puns. All of it. Can't get yeah. enough. Um when I, whenever we start talking about dad jokes, I try to lean in and like think of some like puns for you, but I'm just not a good punner, man. Um <laughs> but she said that um, – so since January, she hasn't missed a single day of dad jokes because she loves it so much. And now she's able to walk without a walker, which is so great. That's awesome. Um, she said, when it was really cold, I'd put on boots and caps and a jacket on. I didn't feel like walking. But then I thought, if I don't go, I'll miss the joke of the day. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, Jennifer Hanser says, how awesome that she has something she can look forward to, getting out, moving around, and then at the end, she gets a little reward through a funny little joke. Nevia said that not only helped her to walk again, but it just showed her why she loves her community and her neighbors so much. She said, what you two did is a show of caring. You're caring for your neighbors. You're caring for them to have a laugh or a smile because that might be the only one you have in a day. Isn't that so sweet? That's and really sweet. I know. And the couple says that they plan to keep on putting jokes out daily and are hope hoping to get the whole neighborhood involved. Their idea is um, each house switches who will have the joke of the day, encouraging neighbors to get out, walk, and find out where the joke is placed each day. Oh, that's so, fun. That's such a good idea. So the yeah. a love story, like, you know, like neighborly – love and love for your community and creating a sense of a community in a times where it's like really hard to do that right now and everybody's kind of stressed and thinking about their own day-to-day -day and also people are encouraged yeah. to stay indoors so this is just really nice um, nice way for people to safely get outside and be a part of their community. It reminds me of I don't know if they did I'm sure that kids did this in your neighborhood at the beginning of the pandemic when kids would 
were making like hopscotch things outside or yeah. there were like kids who obstacle were doing like courses. obstacle courses, like go this way and then like arrows and stuff. And I was just like, it's so cute. It made me so happy every time we passed one. It was just like such a nice way for people or, you know, people were doing the um, like teddy bear hunts. Yeah, um, that was really cool. Yeah, like just a way to like show people you're there, <laughs> even though you can't couldn't interact with anyone. I just love that. I love that, Jen. Thank you. I thought this one was right up your alley, so I stole it (laughs) before you could. Well, I'm (laughs) doing the flip side of the Sally special. And, uh, you know, Jen, I have done so many stories about couples getting caught having sex in public. Uh And this is another one. one. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't know if we've ever said, like, what – I want to know what would you do if you came across a couple having sex, like in broad daylight, would you just keep walking and just be like, okay, well, I, I mean, as long as it like, seemed my like eyes. it was a consensual yeah. thing, right? If I saw Obviously. a couple having sex in the middle of the daytime, I would just turn around. I'm a flighter. I'm yeah. not a fighter. I'm a flighter. <laughs> I would run, 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 run. <laughs> I, yeah, I would laugh real hard and like turn around and run. Yeah, I would not. I, I would not be like, you guys need to stop. <laughs> um, so this couple got caught having sex during the middle of the day on a packed beach in Poland. Wow. Um, on a se- in the seaside town of Milno on Friday. And so th- somebody, of course, was filming it. So you can see a footage of a man. He's only wearing this like bright blue polo shirt, no bottoms. Uh, and he's, you know, on top of a woman. They're, they seem oh to be enjoying God. themselves, like just totally having sex on the beach. Um, wow. And so people start like being like, hey, you got to like, come on, get out of there. And they do like don't even pay attention. So then people kind of are like, OK, now what do we do? And so a woman like throws water on them. They don't stop. Oh Finally, God. yeah, two men are like, we got to stop this. So they like kind of are trying to like drag the man off. Of the woman. For some reason, this whole scene just reminds me of the scene from A Christmas Story where the kid's tongue is stuck to the telephone pole. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole town trying to get it unstuck. Like, was he stuck in her? How did nobody get these people to stop? It was, it was, uh, <laughs> got an ice cold vagina. <laughs> oh what is it, like dentata or whatever? Just clamped. <laughs> She's got teeth in there. Uh, she's got- <laughs> uh, I think they just didn't want to stop. And so wow. some men are kind of like trying to pull him away. And so like before before he starts like getting to his feet, like I think he they finally like realize people are watching and yelling at them because of course they are like crazy drunk. But then this old guy comes over with a flip-flop and starts smacking the man on his naked bottom. Oh, <laughs> my God. And yelling at him. I and the he man, liked it. Well, the man just kind of like, get, he's like totally shocked and he just staggers. You see him just stagger away. He's like so drunk. And then the woman just kind of like runs off the other way. So he's like walking past this crowd of like all of these people at the beach in just his blue polo shirt <laughs> nothing on the bottom oh my god he of course was uh, arrested taken to a detention center to sober up he was given a ticket for public intoxication and nudity but they never found the woman and uh. they actually said police said that the man who used the flip-flop as a weapon could maybe also be in trouble with the police really and, yeah for they, assault but, 
I guess. I mean, I guess. I don't know what Polish laws are, but people on social media, of course, were like, I can't believe they were having sex in public. The children. (laughs) But uh, I didn't see any children in the video. But anyway. Oh, my gosh. So you watched the video? Well, you know, there's like screenshots. (laughs) I didn't. No, I didn't play the video. I just did the article in the sun was mostly pictures, (laughs) which we will post. So nuts. There you go. Another couple having sex story. This one involves a flip flop. Uh, Flip flop. (laughs) Oh, man. Good one. Thanks, dude. Hey, Sally. Hey, Jen. You ready for a wild, crazy story this week? I am ready. Okay, good. Because I have one. Um, (laughs) You never know. You never know. (laughs) This story came from an article um, from thestate.com written by Andrew Dice. um, Andrew Dice? It's like spelled D-Y-S. Okay. I but thought not, we were getting like, not hey, the yo. clay, not the clay. Hickory dickory duck, <laughs> some true crime came around the clock. There you go. You're really good at that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. What if you became just like you change gears completely and you became like an Andrew Dice co- uh, Clay, like rhyming comic? Like I mean, it couldn't limerick. hurt. Dirty Limerick Sally. <laughs> Couldn't hurt at this point. Just try I mean, it. the most success I've ever had as a comic was when I did dumb raps. So you know, oh my god, that's there's so something true. to be said for that. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, um, we'll have to post some of those videos soon of Sally rapping to our listeners. Have we? Uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Sally's going to edit this out before you guys can even know about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so this came from an article for state.com by Andrew Dice, no relation to the clay. <laughs> an episode of Snapped and an episode of Dateline titled Death in the Driveway. Okay. Um, Okay. So on February 4th, 2010 in York, South Carolina, I feel so stupid saying this, but it's true. It was a cold and rainy night. It's important to the story that was a cold and rainy night. Okay. Um, And it was like, you know, it's South Carolina, which like very rarely has snow, but it was so, it it was so cold that it was like sleet and snow that night. Oh, I'm sure it shut Uh, everything down, right? Oh, yeah. But at 7.30 at night, which is pretty early, but also dark at that time, um, 7.30, which is kind of like my bedtime. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, (laughs) 7.30, police received a 911 call um, from 70-year-old Julia Phillips. She had told the police that she had been attacked outside of her boyfriend's home and that she had been bound and duct taped. And um, that her boyfriend, 79-year-old Melvin Roberts, was dead. And so Mm -hmm. police, when they arrived on the scene, they did find him dead in the driveway, which is why the Dateline episode was titled. Right. (laughs) Otherwise, that'd be weird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, and, and Julie was sitting in her car at the, at the time when they arrived because she, you know, it's cold outside. So she was in the car for running the heat. Yeah. Um, But when she came out of the car, she looked completely disheveled. She had duct tape around her head, her wrists and her heels. When police brought her down to the station to ask her who did this to her and who killed Melvin Roberts. So, 
Julia Phillips, just to let you know about her, she grew up in Gaffney, South Carolina, and she was very popular and well-liked. She's, like, very beautiful, outgoing. Everyone loved her. Mm -hmm. Um, They said that she dated a lot in high school. You know, all the boys liked her, and she kind of, you know, tried them out. Yeah, try to try different guys out. Why not? And so, but when she graduated from high school, she did kind of the small town thing where she got married very quickly. Yeah, um, and it was a very short lived marriage. But during that time, they did have two sons together. But you can imagine how hard it was for her, like in the sixties, to be a young single mom to two kids. You know, that wasn't like the norm back then. So she worked really hard to support her and her kids. She worked retail and clothing stores for a long time to make money. And then she ended up eventually marrying a man named Bryant Phillips in 1973. Bryant's family was very well off. They owned like, you know how like small towns usually have like that one big restaurant that everybody goes to? Right. Yeah. So they owned that restaurant. So (laughs) she kind of became well known in that town as well for, you know, being a part of that family. Um, And they were married for 25 years. They were married. And he had daughters too. So I think uh, she was a stepmother to his daughters. Okay. Um, And then she had her two sons. But in 1999, uh, Bryant fell ill and passed away. At this time, she was 59 years old and her sons were, you know, all grown up. um, And so she was kind of on her own for the first time in a long time. She was on her own for three whole months. Sounds amazing. (laughs) Until friends introduced her to a wealthy lawyer and former mayor of the town of York, uh, Melvin Brown. Okay. Um, So he was 69 years old at the time when he met her, and he was very well known in the community. I mean, he was the mayor at one point. Right. He owned several businesses. He was in real estate. He owned like over 100 rental properties. Um, He owned a car lot. Like he was like the guy in town. Yeah. You know? And he had been married once before, but divorced in the 80s. So it was a long time ago. And he had two sons, and he would date every now and then, but. You know, he was kind of just like a serial bachelor for a long time because uh, he was obviously very busy with all of his business. Right. He's got things to do. He's a busy he, businessman. He's a businessman. But when he met Julia, things changed because he was instantly smitten with her. You know, even at um, – that's like a terrible thing to say. Even at her age. <laughs> she she at young crazy. age of 59. <laughs> even at her age, she wasn't an old bag. <laughs> no, she was beautiful and fun and bubbly and like she still had – she was a good-looking lady. Mm-hmm. And um, young woman of – 59 years old. And also she wasn't looking for marriage. She just wanted somebody to spend time with without all of the baggage. So to him, he was like, great. You know, it's somebody, they had fun together. They just like went on trips a lot and he would buy her all kinds of gifts and stuff. He would take her on cruises. Like that's fun. That sounds fun. Yeah, it does sound fun. I want that. They were together for a while, but they never got married. Um, And one of the main reasons that they didn't get married is because there was actually a clause in her late husband's will that she could only keep the house, that she could keep the house, but only as long as she didn't remarry. Isn't that a real fuck you? Yeah. Like, well, is it? Well, is it maybe like, I think it's probably so that her, his, his kids get something, right? Like, I guess, maybe. you know what I mean? So that it's like, it's not like she gets remarried. She's living in this house with like his family house guy. with a new guy. I guess. I mean, it is kind of. 
It's a little petty, a petty thing. from the grave. But yeah, it seems like a weird thing to put in a will. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe like that's a normal thing, but that would feel weird to me. It's like you can live here as long as you're still sad about me and you never <laughs> move on ever. <laughs> I don't know. It just feels weird. But anyway, but so Melvin, you know, paid all of her bills and gave her a car from his car lot that he had and a dealership between like her house being paid for and Melvin paying for everything else. She was pretty set. Yeah. Pretty set, Julia. Sounds fun. But in, and then in 2004, he bought her a business. He had, he owned this building and he started a business for her in the retail portion of the building. They opened up a store called Julia's, which was a high-end clothing and cosmetics store. And it did really well, you know? And by 2010, Melvin and Julia had been together now for 10 years. So 10 years is a long time. They're like approaching, you know, Kurt and Goldie status. <laughs> yeah, um, they're like common law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they were going to go celebrate their 10-year their anniversary with the trip uh-huh. to the Bahamas. But on Julia's seven, 70th birthday, which was February 4th, 2010, those plans came to a halt when they were both attacked. Julia told the police that she showed up to Melvin's house at 7 o'clock that night with groceries um, because she was going to make him dinner. But it was her birthday. Her birthday. I like that, Melvin. Um, Yeah, I like it. She said that she got out of the car and was about to walk into the back door when a man came out of nowhere and grabbed her, put his hand over her mouth, and threw her down on the ground. Um, She said that because he grabbed her from behind, she couldn't see who he was. She couldn't see his face at all, but she said that she could hear an accent. And this was just like a sidebar on the um, Snapped episode. They played the tape of like her interview tape when she was talking to the police. And she goes, um, when she's telling them that this man had an accent, she said to the police, what do you call those people that like live around here that are from Mexico? What do you call them? (laughs) Um, People? (laughs) You fucking fuckface? Okay. People. Yeah. Julia. 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 What do you call them, people? They are from Mexico. What are those? Mexicans? <laughs> I was like, I mean, I huh? feel like you got it right there. <laughs> I know. But anyway, um, she said that he kept saying to her, money, money. She kept saying, um, like, please don't hurt me. I don't have any money. But then he dragged her behind a brick wall that was behind, like, the, the driveway. Mm-hmm. He threw her down and then taped her eyes, mouth, hand, and feet together with duct tape. And she said that she was laying face down in the mud and that at one point he had climbed on top of her. And so right as that happened, Melvin drove up the driveway. And so the man ran out towards Melvin and she said that she could, she could, because she was behind the brick wall, she could hear them yelling at each other. And she said that she could hear them fighting and the sound of what sounded like a pipe hitting the ground. And then she mm-hmm. heard a gunshot. And the attacker ran off. Then all that she heard was silence. She said that she was so scared that she laid there for 15 minutes praying to God to give her an answer on like what she should do next. And she said that that and then she got the idea to she was able to like grab a key out of her pocket or somehow and she used the key to get the duct tape off of her hands and then she was able to free herself and she ran over to Melvin and found him not breathing and then she ran to her car and called 911. Um, So when the police investigated 
they did see a set of footprints walking up and then uh-huh. running out in a into a direction towards the street, and then the footprints disappeared, like they got into a car and drove off. Okay. Um, and they were able to see that there was a pipe laying there. There was a gun that was fired, and the bullet went through his jacket collar, but it wasn't a bullet that killed him. He actually died from being strangled with a zip tie. Um, so I know it's terrible. Um, so what was weird to the police right away was that it was raining that night. Right. Remember, I told you it was a dark and stormy night. It was a dark and stormy night. It was cold. And Julia said that she was face down in the mud and that at one point the attacker was on top of her. Yeah. But her clothes were totally clean and bone dry. What? Julia. You got to lie better. Come on. And then another uh, classic sign of not a robbery, which Uh we've seen in so many stories before, was, you know, he was, she said that he was asking for money, but he didn't take any money from either her, her purse was laying there, had all of the money in it. And Melvin still had his wallet on him with with money inside. Yeah. So he didn't even take money. And then they also thought that it was weird that why would they use duct tape to duct tape her if they had zip ties? Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Also, and here's another thing that's crazy, is her duct tape was duct taped really weird. It was like really neat and it was actually folded over so that the sticky part wouldn't stick to her <laughs> face and her hair. <laughs> and another like oh, yeah. side – Side note on the Snapped episode is like when they were interviewing the EMT in the Snapped episode, he was like, it was like one of them lady sweatbands on her head. (laughs) I thought she might start jazzercising. You know, like ladies do. Um, Another weird thing. There's so many weird things. So another weird thing, which is so similar to the last crazy story that I did. Um, but when she was being Im- interviewed by police and they were taking pictures of her for evidence, she said to the police officers, are you going to use these for Playboy? <laughs> what? Like, What is middle- it with these ladies who are like, like obviously, old, yeah. older ladies <laughs> that can't even not talk about sex when they're being interrogated for murder? <laughs> so weird. <laughs> and so, um, so, of course, they started looking into Julia. Right. Because when they looked into Julia and they learned more about her family, too, they discovered that her 46-year-old son, Hunter Stevens, had actually been in and out of prison multiple times. He was um, addicted to drugs. Uh, He was addicted to pills, I should say, um, which are drugs. Those are drugs. Yeah. He didn't have a job. He lived off of his mom. Like, he was just a real piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And so when – not – okay, people that have addictions are not piece of shit. I'm saying, like, he – But this guy was, a, was addicted and was also a piece of shit. Was also a piece of shit. Yeah. So when they yeah. interviewed um, Melvin's friends, several of them told the police that Melvin was not a fan of Hunter's. They said that um, Melvin just had no tolerance for drug users, and he also suspected that Hunter was – stealing from Julia's store um, because there had been merchandise and money missing repeatedly. And in fact, like Melvin had banned Hunter at one point from even going inside the store. And on the Dateline episode, they talked a lot about how like over the years, her fancy upscale boutique that was once like, you know, very upscale, like had eventually like withered down to it became like just a thrift store. 
So it just like went downhill over the course of five years. Yeah. And so Melvin's granddaughter had also told police that at the funeral, Julia was telling her what had happened to her. Um, she said that she thought that it was weird that she was bringing this up at the funeral. It was almost like she was like had to, was making a point to like I want to tell you what happened, you know. And she was like, and then they duct my hands like this, and that hunter then said, "No, Mama, that's not true. They were behind your back," uh, uh-huh. which was yeah. very odd. But the thing was, Hunter had an alibi. He was in a town about thirty-five miles away with his friend. Um, and his friend, and normally that would sound like a weak alibi, you know, his friend vouched for him, but his friend was an ex-highway patrolman who was very, like, well-known and respected in the community, and they, like, he vouched for him. Yeah. So they took his word. They looked more into Julia, of course. And Julia, you know, maintained that she loved Melvin more than anything in the world and that she told them that she had actually brought him a present that night, like, you know, because that's just what she does on her birthdays is she buys presents for other people or whatever. And then um, she also told the police that the amount of times that Mike's Hard Lemonade was brought up on the (laughs) date is just... Sponsorship notice. Amazing. But... So she brought him apparently some Mike's Hard Lemonade uh-huh. and wore sexy lingerie under her clothes that night, like expecting to have a romantic evening with him. Like they really talk about the Mike's Hard Lemonade like that was proof that <laughs> they were going to do it. It's proof but like, that they but were she, Why would she students. bring Mike's Hard Lemonade? Uh, like she even – she swore she brought Mike's Hard Lemonade like they were going to Well, maybe because she knows sexy. how to party. I guess. Or does Mike's Hard I've never had Mike's Hard Lemonade. What? Does it make people You weren't a teenager in the nineties slash early two thousand? No, I was a Skittles in my Zima type girl. I mean I was um, a little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> and then when they talked to Melvin's friends, they told the police that Melvin was not going over there that night for her birthday or for sex or for Mike's Hard Lemonade. <laughs> He was actually going there to break up with Julia. Mm-hmm. He was going there to tell her to pack up her things and go. It was his house, but like she, you know, she yeah. practically lived there. Uh, but he wanted her out. Apparently, he had been trying to break up with her for months. Like he would just keep breaking up with her, and she would just like pretend that he didn't say that. <laughs> That's like one way <laughs> to do it. Really good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But the reason that he wanted to break up with her, remember when Melvin banned Hunter from the store? Yeah. Well, when Hunter was banned, apparently the money still kept disappearing, and it was a lot of money. It was like $300,000 went missing. The reason – and then when he dove deeper into why that was, it's when he, he found out that Julia, just like her son, also had a pill problem. He found out that she was addicted to OxyContin, and while she did have some legitimate prescriptions, eventually that wasn't enough, and she ended up buying it on the street Mm -hmm. for like you know $100 a pill, which is very expensive. And so to support her habit, she was stealing from the store. Gotcha. And at first, he tried to get her into rehab and help her get help, but it, it just didn't take and you know and the between her addiction and the amount of money he spent not only in rehab but 
he was losing in the store and all the money that he was losing from right. her stealing and not and he paid for her for everything you know it was just too much and he was just ready to let go and so so that's why she wasn't like willing to accept the breakup and she right. just ignored him because she literally like couldn't live without him you know yeah. she needed his help or could she live without him because it was actually written into his will that when he died she would receive the building that her business was in plus a car for some uh-huh. reason it was like plus a car huh. um the building wasn't really worth that much like they they said it was like the building was worth 150,000 i mean i guess maybe not even no ten years ago, one hundred fifty thousand for a whole building is still really cheap. Yeah, right. But I guess it's still something. You know what I mean? She yeah. could sell it and get a hundred. It's more than she would get otherwise. So she did have motive for sure. But there was definitely another person there that night because they had the footprints. Um, not to mention she was so tiny. She was a very tiny woman, and Melvin was a larger man. So there's just no way that she could have overpowered him like that and strangled him. You know. Yeah. And her son had an alibi. So for months, the case went unsolved until that May when the forensics came back on the clothes that she was wearing that night. And it showed that she had gunpowder residue on her sleeves and her vest, which Uh. was not at all consistent with her story about being bound behind that wall. Right. You know, because it was like 60 feet away from where he was. And so there's no way that gunpowder would have reached her. Now they know that she was if like if she wasn't the murderer then she was standing next to the murderer when he killed him and she knew who did it so with that they were able to arrest her on may 18th 2010 and she was officially charged with melvin's murder um so for more than three years she actually sat in house arrest waiting for her trial to begin and while she was awaiting trial the daughters of her second husband uh-huh. Who passed away? Asked for his body to be exhumed. Because, I was wondering. Yeah, they believe that he did not die of natural causes. Yeah, that's very um, young. Yeah, they always suspected that he that she had something to do with it. But and then when they saw on the news that she was arrested for Melvin's murder, they were like, "We fucking knew it." <laughs> I don't know if they cursed or not, but in my mind, they were like, "We fucking knew it." <laughs> <laughs> on August 26th, when she was 73 years old, she finally – oh, I do have to say that there are conflicting reports on how old she was during the trial and later because – and then one article does talk about how she – her age is, like, not actually known because they think she lied about her age. So she might be older? Yeah, they think she might be older. Oh. Yeah. So on August 26th, when she was – maybe 73 years old, she finally stood trial. And at this point, they still don't know who was her accomplice. Yeah. And so the prosecution painted the picture that Julia had a drug problem, that she knew that Melvin was going to cut her off, and that that she knew that the only way to set herself up was to kill Melvin. Uh, But they still don't have the accomplice. But what they did have was a guy named Guy Blankenship. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what a name. Guy Blankenship. Um, so Guy was one of Julia's friends. And he testified that uh, he was a, a ne'er-do-well. He was also like a pill popper. Uh-huh. And he apparently like his business was making fake credit cards. He testified that Julia had offered him $10,000 to kill Melvin. 
and he turned it down. And then he also testified that she went then went to another guy that he knew, and that person turned her down as well. Um, okay. So and so this guy was kind of a dirtbag, so it was debatable if he was believable or not. Yeah. Which of of course the defense pointed out. The defense was like, he's a scam artist. Like, why would you believe him? And he's you know also addicted to drugs. And they also the defense also leaned on the fact that there was no accomplice. So all of the evidence that they had was circumstantial evidence. So they also claimed that the gunpowder that was on her blouse was probably because she was sitting in a police car for a while because they say that there's gunpowder residue it all inside police cars which I did not oh. know that huh. I don't know so they said that the police probably arrested her so quickly um, because and used the gunpowder as an excuse because there was so much pressure to solve the case quickly yeah. because Melvin was such an important member of the community yeah. so they think that they just kind of like went with that and were like let's just throw her in jail But after deliberation, the jurors all found Julia guilty, and she was sentenced to life in prison. And she actually passed away just a few years later in July of 2016 while she was in jail. And the autopsy for Mr. Phillips, who was exhumed, is sealed. Oh. And nobody knows what happened, but no charges were ever brought about. To this day, they still do not know who the other killer was. Who do you think it was? I don't know. <laughs> I think I think that it was probably her son. Yeah. Maybe her other son, dude. There were two. Oh, right. Yeah, what about the other son? I don't know. They like nobody ever mentions the other son. Uh, but I think we cracked I, the case. <laughs> it was that guy. Or <laughs> or I think that you know, maybe they really paid off that guy for the al- alibi. How is that not that's not that out of out of the realm of possibilities? Like this whole guy's whole alibi rests on just what this one dude said. Right. And like, yes, he was a highway patrolman, but you know what? There are crooked highway patrolmen mm-hmm. out there. So I don't know. Something about the whole case just seems fishy to me. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you never – like with small towns and especially like this is a guy who was a very public figure and like who knows what he was in. You know I mean? Like – what people were doing to try to solve this case and yeah um, there was a couple of um the date see the snap episode like never touched on like other possibilities at all but the dateline episode did talk about other possibilities like apparently he was known for being kind of a dick you know what i mean like he was a like he was a lawyer for a long time and he put a, a lot of people behind bars so a lot of people didn't like him because of that he was known for telling it like it is and not giving a fuck like there was and like and being really rude like there was this one story about for um a while when she was talking about how it might have been like she had an accent and she couldn't they're probably like okay he had some kind of an accent because you don't even know what a mexican is you know what i mean so they were looking into anybody that he knew that had any accent right and any foreign accent and there was um one of his tenants was an indian man and apparently just like days before the murder the man's wife had put in a complaint about her floors like caving in or something in the kitchen and he responded to her by saying well maybe if you weren't such a fat ass the floors wouldn't be caving in oh cool so then they looked into that woman's husband, right? Um, but apparently he had a very solid alibi. So there were there were other people out there that 
didn't like him. Yeah, but it just seems but, very obvious. I mean, at least from yeah, the details it's very you saw obvious that she that was right. involved, yeah. but who else? Yeah, like it yeah. could maybe one of these people that didn't like him helped her. You know, she probably could have went to them and tried to convince them to help her. Yeah. Like, look, you hate my husband. You hate Melvin. <laughs> I hate Melvin. What are we going to do about this? <laughs> you scratch my back, I killed my husband. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you some oh, Mike's yeah. Heart well, Lemonade. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, what wouldn't you do for that? <laughs> Um, well, that's a good one. That's, uh, you know, you don't get a lot of like, uh, people who, the people who turn into murderers at 70, you know? I know. I know. Yeah. I guess it's never too late to Right. (laughs) Just like we always say, there's a lot of life left. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Unless you're living with a murderer. Okay. Hey, Jen. Hey, Seth. Are you ready for a love story? I am. Okay. I've got a sweet one. This is from the sacramentobee.com by Isabel Salonga. And I just, there's so much very sad and very hard news coming out of Afghanistan. Um, But I found this beautiful love story about an Afghani couple who fell in love at first sight and whose love has since weathered family rejection danger, displacement, and medical crisis, and come out the other side. So this is a story of Mujibala and Khadija Amari. So Mujibala first laid eyes on Khadija when they were in ninth grade. Khadija remembers feeling butterflies whenever they saw each other. They would like pass each other in the hallway, and she just, you know, those first first crushes. Uh, Mujibala says, I saw her on the street one day when we were both in high school, and since the first time I saw her eyes, I was only thinking of her. Mujibala's family was Aww. from Afghanistan, but until recently, they had actually been living in Pakistan because they were refugees. After years of displacement, because they had fled Afghanistan at some point because they their lives had been in danger, but then after years of being displaced into Pakistan, they finally felt like it was safe to return home, which is when he started high school and met Khadija. So Khadija's younger brother also went to the same school, so since they weren't really able to court or talk to each other, Mujibala would bring fruit and other sweets for her younger brother. And in exchange, he would carry letters that Mujibala would write home to Khadija and then bring back her responses back to school for him. Isn't that sweet? good brother. Yeah. So like at the time, I mean, their families couldn't afford telephones. So for three years, the two wrote letters back and forth all the time falling more deeply in love. So that's the, so awesome. It's very sweet. Like that's such a like romantic way to get to know each other. Um, yeah. So they they knew that they wanted to get married, but they also knew that their families would never agree to their marriage. The two are from different faith backgrounds. Uh, Mujibala is a Sunni Muslim, and Khadija is a Shia Muslim, and they were also from different provinces. But they were. They were so in love that they asked anyway. But as they expected, both families said no, that it wasn't possible. And at that point, they were about 17. Mujibala became deeply depressed. He said, I became silent, hardly speaking to anyone. I was in love with Khadija, but I thought it was impossible. But even though they knew that like even just a few decades earlier, there would have been no way that a marriage between the two of them would have ever happened, things had somewhat changed in recent years. So 
when his family saw how distraught Mojibala was, they worried that he might not recover. And so they actually relented and decided to allow the marriage. And he said that when you want to get married in my culture, the man's family must go to the woman's family to propose an engagement. And so his family went to Khadijah's home and they went several times, but her relatives were like, we, we just can't say yes. Like this, this would be kind of like, this would not be good for either of our families. And so even though her family said no, the two decided that they were going to get married anyway. But Mujibala's family was like, look, we're going to go one last time to Khadijah's home and talk to her relatives to see if they agree so that the two could be married according to tradition. And this time, seeing that it was going to happen either with or without their blessing, Khadijah's family said yes. Oh, yay. Yay. So when they married, actually many of Mujibala's family and friends were like, you you need to have her convert to Sunni. But he said he decided against asking his wife to change her Shia beliefs. He said, I said, we're all humans. God creates all people. He creates all religions. Who am I to decide who should do what? We have to respect people for themselves, including their religion. So so they ended up, they both, I mean, it was actually really good for a while. So Mujibala and Khadija, they had two children. He enjoyed a successful career working as a driver for USAID. And there he like won awards for his like ability to drive armored vehicles to deliver essential supplies and equipments all over the country. And he even won over his in-laws. He said, now they love me so much. They say, you're different, but you're respectable. So things were going really well. But then around 2016, as it happened for many Afghans who worked closely with U.S. forces, the climate became very dangerous for the family to remain in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. They started getting threats of violence against them. But unlike many who are in the same boat, I think, as we're seeing now in the news, um, the family and their two children were lucky enough to be resettled into the U.S. They worked with this agency called the International Rescue Committee, who's one of the largest international resettlement agencies. Um, So in 2017, the family was moved by the IRC to Sacramento, California. And even though he had lived as a refugee before, Mujibala said it was incredibly difficult to move across the world with his family, especially when they first arrived in Sacramento. They, you know, they were separated from their loved ones and family in Afghanistan, and his they were really close with his with their parents. So his oldest son really missed his grandparents. Um, but soon after they arrived in Sacramento, their youngest son, Siobhan, was born in the U.S. at Sutter Hospital in Sacramento. As soon as he was born, they were told that he had excess fluid on his lungs, oh, and no. he immediately required several life-saving surgeries, and he ended up spending three months in the ICU. During that whole time, his oh, family no. was unsure if he would survive. Oh. But he did. Yes. Yes. And today, Siobhan is a healthy and curious three-year-old, and he calls oh, himself sweet. Big Hulk. <laughs> he says, he's like, I'm not little. I'm big. I'm a Big Hulk. That's what he calls himself. It was very cute. So they got through that. That was like, obviously, you can imagine, super traumatic. And then, of course, with the pandemic, um, Mujibala was working full time driving for Uber and Lyft. And then when all of like in California, all the ride share apps shut down and he was left without any income 
to take care of his family. And he said, I don't work for myself. I support three families. I work to support myself, my wife, my three kids. In addition, I support my mother and father in Afghanistan, as well as my wife's family. So you can imagine this was like a super hard time. But then earlier this month, Mujibala actually earned his class A commercial driver's license so that he can become a truck driver through a program operated by the IRC. Khadija and Mujibala are hopeful for their future. He says, I want my kids to have all of the opportunities they can. Although it's a difficult job, it's my responsibility to make sure they are taken care of. I want to be here for them. With a new job as a commercial truck driver, I will finally be able to put some money aside. I'll have some money, more money to support my family. Someday my wife and I even dream of opening a small restaurant in Sacramento. And despite their hardships, the two still have that same spark that they shared as teenagers. Mujibala actually brought all of the letters that they exchanged over those three years with them when they moved to the U.S., in order to document their love story. Mm-hmm. And it's a love story is how Khadija sees it too. She says she says she's very proud that this marriage that they fought for is a marriage of love. Aw. Yes, that's sweet. I love it. I love it. Just, that was a good one. Thanks. Well, dude, should we do something dumb and something we love? Let's do it. I guess I'll go first. Do it. Um, I feel like I already touched on something dumb was yeah. like my night last night was just terrible. I mean, it's not terrible in the grand scheme of life and things and whatever, but it was just like a a real feels bad, man. It feels yeah. bad. It feels <laughs> bad to put yourself out there, and especially in like when you're like, I know I'm not, I know I'm not doing the best job I can, right? Like because right. you're like, I'm tired, I'm out of it, and then so you can't be certain that it's not you. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, not that I don't think it was. You are a wonderful comedian. You're funny, and those people are dumb. But it no, does. It, feel it bad. wasn't their fault at all. It was like the situation um, was just the situation not. Was dumb. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was against you. The whole thing was against you. But right. it feels bad. But but you know, yeah. the next you'll get them next say time. Say <laughs> um, But something that I love is I don't know if I've talked about this or not, but my daughter, um, who is eight she'll be nine in December um she started taking drum lessons and I um it's my friend Seth who I've known him for and he's married to my friend Danielle I've known the both of them I actually met them on the day that they met each other which was gosh like now over 20 years ago oh really more than that maybe 25 years ago and so I've known them for so long and um they and they're uh, they're like they're family to me. But anyway, um, Seth, you know, is a drummer and he's been drumming for many many years. He was he's been in several great bands or whatever. But when yeah, um, Louise asked me if she could take drum lessons because she's like obsessed with uh, Meg White from <laughs> the White Stripe. Yeah, I um I thought of her when I saw. I was like, Minda sent you a message about how much I thought that. Uh, that Louise would love Slater Kenny. Oh, yeah, yeah. She totally would. So I asked Seth if, if he wouldn't mind teaching her. Like, I'd pay him or whatever. And he was like, I'll give it a shot. Like, I've never taught anybody before, but I'll, I'll try it. Yeah. And it turns out that, like, it's the highlight of her week. It's the, her favorite thing to do. And it's the highlight of his week. He's, like, he's having so much fun 
teaching her. He just loves like watching her learn and that he's the one that gets to teach her and show her. And she's picking it up so fast. I'm just like amazed with her. Yeah. And the other day um, we were over there and me and Danielle and my son were sitting on the upstairs part of the house, the top floor of the house where the kitchen is. And Louise and Seth play the drums in the basement. And, we're, you know, we listen, We could hear them playing. They have two drum sets they play side by side, which is adorable. The cutest and thing then, ever. <laughs> and then, like, all of a sudden we look over and Seth's standing next to us. And all three of, like, me, Danielle, and Sully at the same time are, like, that was – that's Louise? Yeah. Like, we couldn't believe it. it was like, that she was, like, hitting them so hard and playing, like, the like so well. Yeah. And so we all ran downstairs and to see her. And she was, like, jumping out of her seat. Like, I just – to see her play with, like, such um, power. Yeah. In the tiniest little body. She's so tiny. She's so teeny. And, but she plays so hard. And it's just like, I'm just so proud of her. And I'm so amazed by her. And um, she's doing so well already. Yeah. And, um, and then um, Zach bought her an electric drum kit. And she's been playing it um, for, nonstop for the last three days. Like nonstop. <sighs> so awesome. And I just, it makes me so happy. I'm so proud of her. But I'm just so happy that like she found a passion already. So yeah. young, and she's get already getting so good at it. So you have I to love to watch it. Post one of those videos of her playing. I will. It's just the I'll cutest thing ever. Yeah, yeah. She's just a teeny little thing. I know. It's inspiring. Rocking the fuck out. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. Um, that's amazing. So for my something dumb uh, and something I love, you know, Jen, I've been doing not that much self-care over this pandemic. And as far as like, like I've gotten my hair cut a time. I've just really, you know, we've talked about how infrequently you shower. And so that's dumb because it, you know, sometimes you're like, sometimes it feels great. And sometimes (laughs) you're going to be the next celebrity that's under a lot of heat for not showering. I've heard that this is a thing now. I have heard too, or not like bathing your kids, which I was like, oh, wait. (laughs) Also me. Also. Wait, celebrities are not bathing their kids? Well, that was what I think the whole thing was, is that like uh, Kristen Bell and then also um, Mila Kunis and yeah, uh, that they basically said like, oh, we we bathe our kids when they're dirty, but otherwise we don't worry about it. And people are Uh like, disgusting. And I'm like, is it? (laughs) I mean, I don't think it's that bad. <laughs> is that disgusting? Um, Sully takes a lot of showers on his own. Like he yeah. just like and it like to where I'm like that parent that's like, stop running the water. You're not paying the <laughs> bill. And but then Louise, I have to be like, it's been three days. To yeah, get in the tub. Yeah. yeah, I mean, same for Max. He would not. He would just never shower or bathe unless we made him. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so that's, you know, that's a thing. That's a thing I'm working on. And But the thing I love is that I went and got my hair cut and yeah, died yeah. today. Oh, yeah. You didn't tell me. Do you like it? I do like happy? it. I am Yay. happy, which I never am. But this is the same woman who uh, I told you about. She, like, I went to her right before the pandemic and she did my hair. I was like, the first time I've liked my hair in forever. And then, of course, I haven't been back. And, uh, and then I finally got it done. And then... I was like so excited to to be there and to get my hair done. And then she was like, guess what? I'm shutting down my salon because I'm going to be do music full time. Apparently she like signed oh, with wow. a record label and, uh, wow. and yeah, and she like put out an album. And so she's going to do music t- 
full time, which is amazing for her. Um, yeah. But, you know, like bad for my hair. So. Uh. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so that's then, you know, dumb, dumb and I love. You know, at least you got, she set you up good. Yeah, she set me up for the next two years. Yeah, um, you're good. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, all right, guys. Well, that's our show for the week. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Uh, make sure you follow us on all the places at Dumb Love Podcast. You you can email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com and you can rate and review. You can tell a friend. Do all the things, guys. We'd love that. Yes. And most importantly, make sure to get out there and do something dumb for love. Dum-da-dum, 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 dum-